Splinter Business Stories. Hello and welcome to Splinter Business Stories. Today is a quite unusual episode. Not because you hear from me for the second time in one week. No, it's not surprising at all. Your fellow IT comrade decided to take it easy this holiday season and totally forgot to publish fully edited episode. So, today is unique not because of that, but because I have a guest on my podcast. And it happens as often as never. So, it's my great pleasure to introduce Danilo McGarry. The person who is wearing a lot of hats, but his latest occupations are tightly related to automation, AI, and Europe. Hi, Danilo. It's a pleasure having you here. Hi, Anita. Thank you. It's a pleasure uh, to be on your podcast as well. Well, I, I see the, the quite like difference in the tones. Hopefully, I do not sound too formal. Otherwise, <laughs> my dear, <laughs> otherwise my dear listeners will think that they're somewhere on Fox News or BBC News. Oh my we... God, even worse. Fake <laughs> news, right? Fake news. <laughs> well, who knows, who knows? Mr. Trump thinks that Fox News is the only source of the truth in this world. So who knows? <laughs> <laughs> That's if you listen to Trump in the first place. I guess, I guess we'll get there. At some point in our conversation. Uh, you, you can read my mind or maybe you read the agenda <laughs> of our call. <laughs> well, one of two. <laughs> so it's hard to describe what exactly you're doing because for sure you're a man of many roles. So why don't you tell me and all of the listeners what you're actually all about? Yeah, sure. Um, so I've been heavily involved in innovation and disruptive technology for about almost 15 years now. And for the majority of those 15 years, it's been mostly in automation. And I guess because automation is kind of misunderstood, it's kind of a buzzword, people don't really understand what it is. So it may seem like um, I've been doing a lot of things, but actually I've been doing something quite bespoke and quite um, unique uh, in itself. So for the last 10 years, I've been doing automation. And what is automation? It's basically looking at using um, RPA, uh, which is robotics process uh, automation, and using cognitive uh, technology. So things like OCR, NLP, which is basically the bot's eyes and the bot's um, ability to interpret language. And then also using AI as well. And I've done that mostly for banks. So I did that quite a lot for um, in terms of Royal Bank of Canada, Canada's biggest bank. And then I did that as a consultant for many years, kind of helping governments and different companies automate and looking at digital transformation. And then I set up Citigroup's um, artificial intelligence division, uh, the first division of its kind, and then delivered that. Um, then I lately went to healthcare uh, to run an AI program for United Health Group. Uh, which is the world's biggest healthcare provider and the 13th biggest company in the world. And then most recently, uh, because of location, um, moved back to London, uh, where I'm running the automation program. So it's the whole thing, uh, RPA, cognitive and AI, uh, for a company called Arthur Domus, going back to financial services. Um, and then in between that, you know, I, I'm on boards of companies. Um, I try to promote AI uh, for using it for a greater good, uh, helping NGOs use it, and then kind of the hat that I'm also wearing, but it's again in the same area, is helping uh, the European Union you know, write procedures and governance 
uh, guidelines uh, for the European Union on how to use AI in all the different industries that the EU trades and has activities in. So, and I guess my quest for 2020, um, now that we're in a new decade, new year, is to promote AI as much as possible. You know, there's still a lot of misconceptions around it. Uh, to make it a little bit more fun, uh, which is why I'm doing podcasts. Um, and also just to get people to understand the benefits of it and, you know, how transformational it's going to be for everybody's lives in the next coming years. <laughs> you know, I love how you answer the questions I never asked. <laughs> so, you know, that's that's perfect. But wow, fancy, fancy. You, you definitely have a lot of roles and that's great. I love it. I'm not sure that that description of your activities was brief, but definitely it was very <laughs> comprehensive. <laughs> Sorry. So, <laughs> No, it's it's my pleasure to listen to you. And I'm sure that everybody is right now in depth understands that you are a busy person. So we should appreciate <laughs> it even more that you're at this podcast. <laughs> so, okay. Danilo, you know that this podcast loves hearing stories. And I mean, oh, I yeah. absolutely I, I'm I'm like excited that you are here because uh, well, as a matter of fact, this podcast was created to tell a story, any kind of story, but in a very specific route. Like, you know, the story of greatest fail is something we all love. You know, it's it's not it's not about like hearing how the person worked hard every single day and mm -hmm. had numerous mm -hmm. of sleepless nights and then boom, the success came to them. No, it's it's a <laughs> Like now, it's a story about like how a person worked hard every single day, had sleepless nights, and still failed so hard that you know. It's the it's... real stories, the real stories <laughs> of how it actually happened. Yeah, exactly. Which is one of the reasons why I really love your podcast. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, you you got the point. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'm sure that uh, I want to hear personally, and I'm sure everybody wants to hear some, you know. Some story of your life, of your professional life, maybe of automation-related story, I mean, if, if that exists, which was quite a failure for you, which didn't work as you expect. <clears throat> I think the, the funniest thing I always say, and some people get so angry at it, is that I think the biggest failures I've personally ever had in automation is actually not related to the technical aspects of automation, which is actually quite difficult to get right. Um, it's actually the human side of it, which is quite peculiar. Um, you know, the same way that you know, I think you know, people are any company's greatest assets. You know, they can also be you know the biggest problem any company has. Um, so I mean, multiple failures. I mean, in the thousands of things that I've helped automate and I've looked after, you know, I've probably had over a hundred failures. Um, some people get a little bit surprised it's that high. Um, I guess it's a numbers game as well, right? I mean, if you go and try to do a thousand things, you know, you, you're most likely going to get at least a few hundred wrong. Um, in many cases, it's things like um, the biggest reason why most automations fail is because of lack of education, you know, and, and the way that companies carry it out. Um, so to give you an example, um, one of the programs I used to run, um, the company didn't really want to tell people about automation. And mm -hmm. they wanted to do it a little bit in a covert way. So they wanted us to collect information about processes and different things that people were doing so we can then go and automate it in the background. And then... So you were spying on people in bit, order to automate. A little bit. A little bit. It's a bit like how Google and Microsoft kind of do it today. You know, they kind of get you to 
upload pictures onto OneDrive and you know to Google Drive and you know they're doing all kinds of things with those pictures. Um, so it's it kind of it's happening already everywhere. Um, I personally don't like that approach. It kind of doing an automation, not telling and not engaging people in it because you can only do it for so long and the results are very limited. Like at the end of the day, you need people for automation to work. So anyway, we, we embarked on the journey. <clears throat> we started learning what a, a very lucrative, very busy team we're doing. And then we started automating it. And, you know, as we started, at some point, we had to start interacting with people mm-hmm. because we're starting to implement it into production, you know, getting some of the automations to go live. And it was a very awkward moment. Um, just having. I mean, I, I can, yeah, I can imagine this moment. You're like suddenly coming and, hey guys, I've been watching you for the last couple months, and uh, you really suck exactly. at like inputting your information. So here's the automation. Enjoy. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> It was literally like that, and you know, <laughs> people literally went on strike. Um, you know, they didn't want to go to work again. Um, oh, a few were they French? Filed. Um, some of them were actually funnily enough. <laughs> that explains everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and and you know, they had they had the right to do that, but it was just uh, I I would never do that again. I I kind of was really against it, but um, so as you can imagine, you know, the automation failed because actually people started sabotaging it. They started doing things and changing scenarios and changing software and versions, and of course, you know, the an automation is only as clever as you can make it, and it's only as clever as the the different inputs that you give it and the different things you train it on, it can't really, really learn by itself, um, which I'm sure we can get into later on. But yeah, so, I mean, it failed miserably. Um, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, close to a million was spent and it wouldn't work. And the company literally had to go back to the employees <laughs> and kind of apologize and say, sorry, say, look, this is what we're doing. We had to educate them all over again. But as you can imagine, it has had a really sour taste after that. It was a you know very awkward team to work with, and you know in companies, no matter how big or small, you know rumors spread like a wildfire for something like that. So all the other teams ended up learning about what happened. Um, so yeah, it was it was um, <laughs> that was a big failure, I think. And and again, it's something so simple. It wasn't down to the technology. It worked really really well. Um, it was just down to the approach, the delivery, and how we dealt with humans. So it's funny. We're trying to, you know, make the workplace more human-like by taking away all the robotic things that we have to do. But sometimes we don't even know how to behave like humans ourselves. So it's interesting how that turned out. I think it was a bit of a, a bit of a lesson for everybody. <laughs> well, definitely it was causing people to go on strike. Wow, that's a hell of a story. <laughs> <laughs> I would say to you, you know, it's not just like a small fail, you know, it's like, you know, the creation of a strike, you know, I, I right now the, the pictures in my head are so vivid. I, I mean, I, I imagine just Frenchmen with transparency and with posters going on strike, you know, <laughs> no, <laughs> really, really, it really was. It really was. And, and some people were because they, they literally thought that some people started the rumor that this was a start of like a revolution in the company where everybody's <laughs> going to get fired and automation was has been prepared for many many years all kinds of you know conspiracy theories started to go around so it was a, it was a bit of a mess i was totally against it um i did say i kind of i told you so afterwards and anyway we i took a, about a year to correct that but we we got it right afterwards and people understood and you know they kind of forgot about that and we ended up you know, getting it 
on track again. Um, but yeah, it was that was a very <laughs> interesting lesson to learn. Well, that's uh, you know that's that's really really cool. And don't pay attention that I'm sometimes mocking at French people. I studied in that country. <laughs> you know, trust me, I love them very very much. But you know, sometimes oh, there too. are things. Oh yeah, sometimes there are things. Culturally, that... right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They, they do like their strikes. They, <laughs> they absolutely most love it. Strikes. The most, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, and they have like they're hitting their like a record of the striking this particular week. So it's like the record in how many thirty years. So mm-hmm. all Paris stands, you know, on a strike. People cannot go to work simply because they are on strike. So I mean that's that's great that they love expressing, and I also like you know think that it's it's cool. But trust me, the nature of your story tells that this was in Europe. <laughs> I mean, just I yes, I really, funnily enough, yeah. it was in Europe. <laughs> it was. I mean, I I can't imagine it's possible in the USA. I mean, in the USA, people would discuss it with each other. You know, the rumors would be going on. Then they would express their concern, and then they would do nothing. You know, so that's <laughs> like, you know, that's like the way it works here. So you know, <laughs> just a tip for the future. Nobody cares here. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> you know, <laughs> spy free. <laughs> <laughs> spy free in the US. Oh yeah. No, I yeah. think um, I hope I hope as many people as possible listen to that and just don't make the same mistake. I think it's it was a pretty bad mistake to make. No, I mean definitely you always should. I mean especially about the automation. My like crazy thing about automation was, you know, something like I mean basically this word haunted me for like maybe four years before I actually started appreciating this process. So mm-hmm. I I probably, at some point of my career, I was the, that person who is like, who was in this, this bubble, you know, thinking that what the, what the hell is going on? Why, why do I have to do like extra step in order to accomplish something? So, I mean, to me, automation was, uh, you know, the eye-opening moment, truly. But before that moment, it was striking me like Titanic hits the iceberg. On a cold night of April in 1912, like that, that was exactly <laughs> like how automation was killing me in all the possible ways. Because it brought me a lot of troubles, like I had to learn a new software, I had to like do a lot of strange things that didn't make sense at all mm-hmm, to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just, it wasn't how I got used to do. So it was even bigger trouble for me, but what was worse you know, of, of that situation, that I had to force my older colleagues to do the same. And, you know, when you try to teach a 50-year-old guy, you know, it, it always ends badly, no matter who teaches him, but especially, like, when I teach a 50-year-old guy, that's always a trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Recipe for disaster. One, one like, thing that people don't really understand is that automation is quite new. Like the concept of automation is, you know, almost 30, 40 years old. But the softwares, you know, the different vendors which are available today, you know, they don't, they've only been around a couple of years. So things are a little bit primitive. They're getting better every year. But, you know, with anything kind of new, which has so much buzz around it, a lot of companies ended up releasing products which were a little bit suboptimal. So, yeah, it's a little bit of a... You know, it, it, you can still find a few cowboys out there in terms of companies and product vendors. You got to be careful. You got to know what you're doing in, auto, in automation. It can go terribly wrong if you don't know what you're doing. Are you sure they're cowboys or dinosaurs? <laughs> <laughs> Mixture of both sometimes. 
th this picture is too vivid, okay? <laughs> so, do you hear a lot of complaints about automation taking too much time to implement? Or that's, that's still a generation kind of gap? No, it's true. It does take a long time to implement. Um, and the typical thing that a lot of people do is they try to automate something super complex. They try to impress their boss and the company. And, you know, something that's super complicated has like five, six, seven hundred steps. And to try to automate something like that, you know, with every step you have different variables and different things you have to consider, different systems. Um, so imagine, you know, extrapolating those variables by 700 times. You know, the possibilities are sometimes in the thousands. Um, and then by trying to do something too complicated, um, you know, you have a company that's never done it before. Um, they have a different, they have perhaps the wrong approach. It's kind of like trying to, it's kind of like mixing the, all the wrong recipes into the, into the wrong dish. Um, <laughs> so a lot of, a lot of times, you know, automations do go wrong. They do fail in the first one or two tries. Um, and if they don't fail it's because of perseverance and because the company has deep pockets and it's just a question of time before they get it right. So sometimes, you know, I've seen companies, they, they embark on an automation journey they try to automate one thing that's too complicated and sometimes it's taken a year and a half um even two years i've seen um so it's crazy and then by then the process had actually changed and the automation they provided kind of was no longer uh, valuable so it's a little crazy sometimes people's egos get in the way and because they started something they'll kind of do anything they can to finish it so it doesn't look like it doesn't look bad on them um, but in the end, actually, has no benefit. So yeah, it's really common. Um, if you look at reports from uh, McKinsey, from Ernst Young, you know, a lot of the very good um, advisory companies, you know, at least thirty to forty percent of first automation attempts fail. So that's pretty. That's a pretty high failure rate. So does it still worth trying? <laughs> <clears throat> it is. I think um, you know, I've done it kind of four or five times now in terms of you know major major programs. I think after the first six months to a year, when you go through all the lessons that you need to learn, it's a bit like a baby, right? Like when it starts mm -hmm. running, it's going to bump its head. It's going to fall over. It's not going to see different levels on the ground. Um, it's going to try to go too fast, too soon. So it ends up learning. And then after a while, it can run pretty well and it can start using you know, instruments like bicycles and mm -hmm. you know, things like that, etc. It's the same thing for automation. Um, it's worth it. The first year is pretty hard sometimes two years mm -hmm. after that it can be amazing you know the the return on investment can be as high as seven or 10x so oh, it's yeah. kind of like one of the best things a company can do they just gotta <laughs> get the right people to do it and you know get people who know uh, what they're doing who have learned lessons before um to to actually run it i think that's the biggest mistake people make just they just have the wrong people running these types of programs <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course, that's that's the point. But I think you you mentioned the very right point of all the story. It's always a problem, not not about like technical part of implementation, but actually about how the employees are using the system. And actually, yeah. it's all about the people and yeah. their like and their approach to it. So I have a very interesting question. Like when a company comes to you, for example, you know, or to your company and asks to automate some process. What kind of face do you see as your client? Is it an older person, you know, from the boomer generation? Is it a more like younger management that came and decided to change something in the company? What is your like typical client look like? What is the demographics there? Uh, well, because, you know, automation is a lot of investment 
And mm-hmm. typically, you know, the budget that a person has in the company usually is related to their rank. So, that, you know, if someone is like a managing director mm-hmm. um, or if they're like a CTO, they have a they have the kind of budget to be able to run an automation program. So actually, people that I've worked with, uh, people that I have been, um, that I've reported to, they're typically C-level. So CEO directly mm-hmm. sometimes, CTO, head of transformation sometimes. So that's changing quite a lot nowadays. Um, it's always a, a slightly older generation, mm-hmm. um, specifically people in those jobs in companies like, you know, Goldman Sachs and you know, mm-hmm. so like reputable companies. They usually are in their 40s or 50s or 60s. Um, so they are really in the boomer uh, generation. Uh, and how the about the employees who are actually using the software or the automation itself? Like, you know, I can imagine for this for this kind of, you know, company, mostly it's uh, like for analysts and like higher, you know, and normally the analytical kind of jobs are taken by younger people because, I mean, simply it's normally entry level jobs. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, you get, you get sometimes, you know, some really senior like a CTO uh, sponsoring mm-hmm. a program like this and then they get analysts to go and do the job. Um <laughs> Because again, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a risky investment at first because it's quite expensive. Um, so sometimes people try to save money by employing people who are younger, who are a little cheaper, and then those analysts end up becoming millennials. So it's funny how you get a mix of, you know, the the boomer generation, gener- um, millennials, Generation Z, um, all kind of getting mixed up in the one pot, and each one of them have different ethics of work, different working styles. Um, and all of that in a brand new kind of program, which is very tricky to put together, like automation. Um, again, you know, automation is filled with recipes for disaster. And <laughs> if you don't have experience, you know, of, of all these things, if you haven't failed before and got all the cuts and bruises, um, you know, it's very hard to know that these things are going to cause you problems in the future. So the composition of your team is really important as well. I mean, that's that's great to hear. But I have a feeling that if I ask any of these guys on top-notch positions, yeah, I, I'm dreaming that I will have opportunity to ask it. But okay, <laughs> like if I ask, like, have you ever failed? They will be, no, I've been always successful. I mean, that's that's <laughs> just the mindset they have. Yeah, I think, I think look, um, you know, the, the some of the boomer generation, you know, they are learning that you know, uh, some very effective leadership styles are, you know, is to make yourself a little bit more vulnerable. Sometimes, you know, you got to admit failure and you got to, and that helps people come closer to you, helps you kind of build tighter teams. I think some of them, they have learned, I've seen definitely some transformation in the boomer uh, generation, you know, where they've gone off to these off sites, they've had a lot of training by consultants uh, who have taught them that, you know, sometimes it's good to say that you failed so that you can teach people that you know it's not about the failure it's about how we react to that failure um but yeah still you know sometimes you get people who are a little bit old school and they're never going to admit that they failed and it's it's kind of funny because again it's a probability game right like if you're if you're at the chief level um you know you're a bit older of course as well usually and you know you've done more things than other people so just by the act of numbers and probability there's a very high chance that you failed more than the younger person who's tried less things so it's i find it funny if people don't admit that they failed i think it's it's a little crazy sometimes well but 
what what is even funnier? I find it absolutely hilarious when um you know there is there is like I will tell you a small story about that. So there is such a technique in management and in leadership, like to look pathetic in front of your team so that your team would grab all the work that you haven't managed to finish and do it for you because you you are too nice, too good, and you're always accepting that you're basically like nothing at workspace, but you're you're in the leading position and you're managing you know this team but this team always like ready to help you simply because you're always saying how uh poorly and how terribly failing you are <laughs> <laughs> well so i, I think, mean, I think... that's the tricky part <laughs> yeah i mean i i personally like whenever i'm looking at a leader i always if if they ask more questions than actually mm-hmm. telling you how to do something i think that makes them into a better leader because they're actually empowering you to go and do something and you learn a lot more by a person if you're talking less and you're just listening and if you're asking questions because you're letting the person talk and you're just taking in information and listening and and understanding how the person talks and feels and acts and behaves so i i I always see kind of i always look out for leaders that talk the least um and listen more and ask questions to provoke a discussion I think that's like a great sign of a leader. That that kind of tells you everything that you know they are experienced and they know what they're doing. If a leader talks too much and kind of just keeps telling you things without asking questions, it's a bit worrying. I think sometimes. What do you think? Oh, really? <laughs> so, what company are you in lead of? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, that is that is. I mean, I I have uh, the opinion here as well. Like personally, I'm always like on both sides you know sometimes i i can listen but you know in most of the cases i have to listen because it's very hard to shut somebody up especially if that's like a team of guys who are in the boomer state and who can't stop talking so i mean it's it's very hard to <laughs> yeah. squeeze in there you know and like you know just put uh you know in may make some input in there uh but from the other perspective i can say that i personally know a person who is like in management who is a leading position who never talks and the only thing he does is asking one or two questions at the end of the meeting and these questions Mm -hmm. are normally very basic and they normally Mm -hmm. start with a question on a higher level you know could you explain me what is that and i find it very 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 strange because like (laughs) the entire meeting we've been talking about this particular thing and now you're asking us to go back and explain it to you meanwhile you're staying in the position of the uh you know the yeah i mean that's strange that's kind of like they're not listening (laughs) (laughs) no not at all (laughs) you know i feel that's you know but so so that's uh listening asking questions yes of course it does provoke the discussion when you do ask the right question uh but I would implement this technique in, in the clients' meetings more. I mean, for me, um, you know, I, I do a lot of consulting on-site and because my job is mainly not about the consulting. My job is about the creating. But I do a lot of consulting as a part of my personal activity because obviously I'm too bored with my life, so I always work. <laughs> so uh, I always ask questions and I always ask a lot of questions um, to my clients why? Because sometimes they do not even understand what they want themselves. And they come to you with their own idea, trying to explain it. And at the end of the day, you realize that actually they need something totally different. Just they cannot put the right word in there and they cannot like explain what, what is actually there. So by asking the right questions, uh, you can actually avoid a lot of 
failing in your life. That's that's a great tip for anything, not just for business, not just for, um, you know, not not being afraid to ask uh, the most obvious question might might be critical when it comes to the project development, when it comes to life oh, development. Yeah. I think that's... Totally, totally. But I'll tell you, I'll give you another ex- angle that will make you think, perhaps. I hope I hope it will. Like the best teacher I've ever had in my life. Yeah, I, can, I will never forget him. He was my geography teacher. He would never answer any of my questions. <laughs> I, I would I would ask him a question and say, hey, why is this mountain formed in this way? You know, what happened? And he would literally say, what do you think? <laughs> and in the beginning, the first couple of months, I used to get really annoyed. I used to think, well, you're my teacher. You're getting paid to teach <laughs> me and everybody else. And you never answer any of my questions. And he would just smile. He would just smile. And then time went by. I stopped asking him so many questions. And whenever I had a question, I would go and research about it and learn it myself from the book. Hmm. And it got to a point where after, let's say, a year, I was with him for a couple of years, um, I would never ask him any questions. And he would literally just sit in the class. He wouldn't talk to anyone. Um, if someone wanted to have a debate about something in particular, but it had no questions involved, fine. But it was it was amazing the transformation it, it did in the class because it made everybody, you know, a lot of people were there, like C students, they weren't doing very well. By the end of it, his class was the most successful geography class in the history of international baccalaureate. Oh, wow. But, I mean, what can you debate about a geography lesson? <laughs> <laughs> no, come on, geography is super interesting. Like, how do rivers form? Why are certain territories, you know, lands in, this, in the shape that they are? You know, it's, I think it's interesting. But it, no, I, definitely I, it's not just about geography, it's about anything, right? It's about yeah. anything. I think sometimes when you feed people too much information, make it too easy, they become lazy and then they don't kind of learn for themselves. So I, I thought that was interesting. It was, it was, um, a, it was a teaching technique that I... I've only seen once well, in my whole life, but it was is. the most effective one. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is interesting. I mean, it's always like the question on, um, you know, different approaches of teaching, but the one which I hate mostly is just like memorizing the paragraph from the book and then retelling it uh, to the yeah. teacher. That's probably the most ineffective thing ever happened to generations and generations and generations of students. It happened to me a lot. I also have an epic story, but it's... Uh, it's not about geography teacher. It's about a history teacher. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, you know, like you, you can predict what personality I had when I was a child. Um, and it's not I'm not even talking about the teenager uh, kind of, uh, you know, times. Uh, it was I was in fifth grade. I was in fifth grade and the teacher made me retell the paragraph of a history book. And I was like. I don't remember like the entire paragraph of your history book. And she's like, okay, if you do, if you cannot retell it to me, then I'll give you two. So two in my country was the lowest mark. And I was like top student. Like, you know, I always was a top student. And I was like, okay, give me two. So she gave me two. I came home. I wrote the note <laughs> about everything I think about the teacher. And the next time I came to the class, I gave the note to the teacher and said, it's the last time I'm visiting your class. And I did this, pop, and put it on the table. Everybody was shocked. The entire class was shocked. The teacher was absolutely, like, shocked. And I said, bye. And I turned back and went away from the class. So, like, I have no clue what I was thinking at that moment. But 
after that, I like every everybody was like, you know, very hectic. It was pretty small school, so you know, and the news about that um, came came really really fast. So uh, when the headmaster called me in, I said, "Well, I'm not I'm not attending history class anymore." And she said, "Okay, but like you know, it's it has never happened before." And my answer was, "Everything happens for the first time." So so that's like mm-hmm. that was you know that that was uh, kind yeah. of a yeah that was kind of like uh, experience that might have uh, you know involved uh, a lot of like teaching techniques and stuff. But it also shows the importance of the right communication, both like with students and with teachers. Right now, I remember this moment that I I'm thinking like, "Wow, I was reckless," <laughs> you know, like where's that courage in me right now? But uh, yeah, like I I was still top student because that situation somehow ruled out. Uh, but uh, still, you know, there there are always like interesting experiences that we probably transmit from our childhood into our lives and you know if you remember that your geography teacher was the best because he never answered the question and was on the silent side so you were like the best class on geography that you know the school or that that region could only face to me it was always like the questioning um the techniques uh, of school um especially like during the childhood and stuff because I I'm the person who tends to have own opinion on absolutely everything. And I think that's that's great when it comes to, you know, the personality, but that's awful when it comes to teaching such kind of a kid. <laughs> but, that's, so. but that's because that's because in the um, in the times that we went to school, our parents went to school, it's kind of been the same forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely with introduction of automation and AI, you know, I'm I'm pretty I can predict to you quite clearly that in the next three to five years maximum um, in developed countries, most of decent to good schools are going to completely transform. Um, yeah, there's, there's, some, there's some amazing companies that were spun off from, from Google and some other pioneering AI companies. Um, basically, you know, students are going to classroom now, and it's been trialed in America, it's been trialed in many countries. Students are going to classrooms with iPads and all the curriculum that you need to learn for every subject is on that iPad. And basically what the teacher does is gives them exercises that goes on their iPad. They perform it like using a multiple choice uh, approach. So mm-hmm. they don't have to write much. Um, and it's quite funny because then in each of their iPads, they have AI algorithms which end up learning about the student in particular. And let's say that you got certain questions in mathematics and you didn't get a lot of questions right in algebra. Mm-hmm. When you go home that day, your iPad, which is going to be also where you do your homework, it ends up giving you better and more examples of algebra and less examples of the other things that you got right. So it's kind of like tailor-made education, but tailor-made for every student. So that's very cool. So. Then the teacher, you know, at real time, it can look at, they can look at their dashboards. I've seen this, I've consulted companies that provide solutions like this. It exists, it's real. And teachers can see immediately, okay, well, half of my classroom is not doing well in this subject, so tomorrow I'm going to teach them about that. And, you know, very quickly they can grade students. They don't, you know, students don't have to wait weeks or months to get their grades from exams because the, the results are instantaneous. You know, the headmaster of that school can very quickly see how classrooms are doing, how teachers are performing against each other. So, you know, the AI assistants which are inbuilt to every iPad or every, you know, um, tablet that students have, they become a classroom assistant to the teacher. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, typically in schools, what you have is you have like the lower, medium and high group. And, you know, you're, the kids get split up into these three kind of groups for every subject. But, you know, in the high group, there could be like two kids are absolute geniuses and they're very bored with being in the high group. They should be doing something else. So that's going to solve that problem. And it also solves the problem that, you know, teachers, all they do nowadays is mark papers. You know, they're very stressed out. A lot of teachers are quitting their jobs, doing something else. We're losing teachers and we have, don't have enough teachers to educate the kids. So teachers are now not having to do any marking. And mm-hmm. what, they, what they're doing instead is they're able to understand their students much, much better because they understand what they're good at a lot better than they used to before when everything was paper-based. And they can now spend a lot more time with the kids talking to them, spending time with them, you know, taking them out to do different lessons, kind of one-to-one style, and building that special relationship and that special bond with the students. So I'm, you know, in the next five years, you know, education is going to be unrecognizable. It's going to change completely the way that we used to go to school. Well, I mean, first of all, thank you for bringing the topic of automation back. For the previous like five minutes, I was thinking, where are we going? (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah, that's because you touch on education. I I think that's one huge area that's going to have such a huge change. And not many people, unfortunately, know about these things because these companies which are doing this wonderful work. They're still quite small. They're still at the Series A, B phase of raising money. You know, they haven't made enough noise. And, you know, unfortunately, most schools are owned by governments and governments are a little bit slow and they don't have much budget to spend on things like this, even though it's going to be, you know, amazing for for our societies. So I I wanted to bring it up because whenever I get a chance, I just thought about it. Like, oh, I should mention that. All these small companies are not doing so well because they don't have such a fabulous marketer person as I am on board. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I'll put you in touch. (laughs) Yeah, like, you know, recommend them, you know, just bring them to me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, that is definitely like true how how things going to get automated. And for teachers, definitely there is always like a human approach, even though we we do have uh, such like fabulous things that uh, Microsoft is doing uh, in terms of like holograms and professors uh, giving lectures in uh, native student language. That's still like uh, teaching is something that requires a lot of communication and a lot of like personal relationship because school is not just about like transmitting the knowledge. School is actually like the place where kids for the first time get get this like taste of socialization and taste of like social life and like understanding how to communicate with different types of people, different types of characters and all, all these things. So, I mean, that's that's like, I think that for teaching, I mean, losing the job or because of automation is, is out oh, of no, question. Oh, no, that's not going to yeah, happen. Because yeah, because there will yeah. always be teachers. They are, they are the they're crucial when it comes to like kids and uh, you know i i think that uh, teacher is a profession that should be very very highly appreciated you know right now yeah, i agree like I unfortunately agree. yeah unfortunately right now the tendency is that uh, really like teachers are losing jobs and uh, you know everybody uh, thinks that teaching is not such a like top-notch profession so less people are choosing it you know we are we both are not teachers but you know we are we are having our you know our time you know to educate and to bring some knowledge to people's heads but yeah I think that uh, for this profession they are totally secured for the future and uh, I'm more than happy yeah I mean imagine imagine if when these things come about even for parents right like if you I think the, most of the arguments that happen between teachers and parents is um 
you know, just from memory, I think is is the fact that they don't know what's going on. Like if if you as a parent could access what your child is learning every day, you could see how well they're doing. You know, you know what to spend time on. You know what to talk to them about in terms of you know everyday lessons that you are giving them on a day to day. I think if once these things are out and they become mainstream, it's going to solve a lot of problems, even the relationship issues between parents and teachers as well. So I think it's going to be amazing. I can't mm-hmm. wait for that to happen. Definitely. I mean, definitely. They they gonna be doing well. But how about like, for example, other jobs? Like, okay, teachers are fully secured for the future. But for example, how for me? I'm working in tech and uh, I'm working very highly on marketing. And recently, I came up with a software. That's a startup one. Okay, so it's it's a fancy fancy thing that is in beta right now. So what what this thing does? You basically input the link on absolutely any article or absolutely any blog post you can find which is like in the topic of your website or your social media account and this thing generates lots of content based on a single article it generates intros it generates some uh you know some text components from this particular article and it does all your job so you don't need to do anything it later posts it online and, you know, it, it posts it on your social media account, even Instagram, even like whatever, whatever you want. So if some, you know, so-called influencer wanted to seem smarter than he or she is, they could use this software to create like very in-depth and profound thoughts under their posts. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I mean, yeah. An, an, another example of that is, you know, Lexus, the, the car company, mm-hmm. um, not so long ago, they created an advert which was completely generated by an AI algorithm. Mm-hmm. So basically they fed all of the Cannes Lion Award-winning um, automotive adverts into this algorithm. It learned all of the words that were used for car adverts, all the kind of scenery, mm-hmm. um, uh, c- cinematography, and basically it created different examples of what, they, what it thinks would be an award-winning advert. And Lexus took one of those suggestions, made some very small tweaks to it, mm-hmm. launched one of their cars based on this concept, and mm-hmm. lo and behold, it won a Cannes Line Award. And that was completely done by an AI algorithm. So, you know, that's even like another extension of what you're saying. It goes into, oh, yeah. you know, graphics, cinematography, oh, yeah. you know, it's a whole <laughs> different creative level. So, so will I lose job? <laughs> <laughs> that's the question that is um, haunting me. I... I, I I don't know how long it would take, but I think kind of 15, 20 years from now, you know, the major jobs that are going to exist are either the people that are creating these things. So developers, Mm -hmm. design architects, you know, senior management, or it's going to be people who are taking care of other people. So I love teachers, how you implement nurses. the fire management in this chain, you know? <laughs> I just, I just like, there, there will always be a manager, okay? Don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, and like, because... whole USA is like, right now, breathing freely. Because, oh, oh I'm yeah. a manager. I'll... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because look, it's strate- strategy in a open world, which is not like chess, which is a controlled environment, or Go, which is a controlled environment. You know, I think it's going to take at least another 30, 40 years for machines to be able to be as good as us as strategizing when you take into account all the variables that exist in the real life scenario. Mm-hmm. So uh, managers are still safe for a good, good time. Uh, yeah, then I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be fine. I and and like, <laughs> if, if, you, if you see like, um, you know, even artists like Will I Am, you know, he's set up a company 
which uses AI to generate music. So even you know, for music now, AI is being used for generating lyrics, for generating rhymes and rhythms, and putting the lyrics together. And it's giving artists, which have you know, which are successful today, which have money, an edge above everybody else because they're coming up with very innovative things which has never been done before. Because you can use AI to analyze all the lyrics of all the music that's been successful in history and use that to to come up with new things, new content. So look, AI is being used for everything, um, creative or not. So that's why I say, look, at the end of the day, after a 20, 30 years, you know, the two types of jobs that are going to be available are going to be very humanitarian based. Yeah. You know, people looking after other people, working with other people like teachers, mm-hmm. like nurses, like doctors, certain types of doctors, not all. And, you know, and then they, you know, by then, you know, the aging population is going to be like Japan in most countries where, you know, the elder generation are more than the working population. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what are those people going to do? They're going to have to take care of the elderly. We're going to be living longer than they are today. Um, so it's really going to go those two routes. Um, and I, I've seen a lot of people who are knowledgeable in this space as well, which think exactly the same. Um, so right. I guess if you're not well, a, if you're, you're not a techie, yeah. if you're not if you're not a um, someone which is in the human creative side or in taking care of people side, then you know you should probably be looking at those areas quite soon. Yeah. So if you don't like people, <laughs> you know, then you're, you will suck. Okay. So uh, you are actually saying a pretty uh, similar things to one person who is getting very very popular in the USA. I don't know, have you heard about him or not, like there, that part of the world, but I'm talking about Andrew Yan. He's a candidate for the president in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. So you, he's, yeah. <laughs> out, of all, out of all the um, candidates, um, he does seem the most knowledgeable in terms of automation, which I really appreciate because I think very few politicians even care about this, even though it's going to completely transform the world. Um, but one thing that I kind of, you know, so his theory is you know, people are going to lose their jobs because of automation, which is not true. Mm. It's also going to create a lot of jobs. Um, but his theory is, well, you know, if people are going to lose their jobs, we should give them a soft landing and we should give them a thousand dollars a month. Mm-hmm. Um, which to me um, sounds like very short term thinking. Um, it shows that he really doesn't understand automation that well. Although he can talk a good game and he can cite a lot of numbers, um, it doesn't really show that he knows what he's talking about. You know, the number one thing that every government should be doing is investing in education. You know, if you look online now for universities which are providing AI programs, there are very few. There are something like 20 in the whole world. And okay. if they, two or three years ago, there was maybe like five. Um, that's shameful, I think, you know, for something that's so important, that's so dominating in our lives, um, you know, to have only a few universities providing courses for it is crazy. And then in schools, how many schools do you know that are providing coding and, you know, AI lessons and modules? Oh, I know. I I personally worked on a program. I personally worked on a program that um, aimed the governmental, like, part and, uh, we talked and like we talked to many legislators and we made sure that every single school in Belarus 
mm -hmm. has the uh, coding curriculum from the yeah. first grade. In Europe, there's a lot of good initiatives. It like is, this. yeah. That is there true. Are. But again, outside of Europe, very few, very, very few. <laughs> Definitely, that is true. But also, like, a funny thing about uh, Andrew Yang campaign. First of all, he's a true people's candidate in terms of his donations. So he's, like, number one candidate. Like, people are donating crazily. And actually, who... Is the, you, you know, like, how it works in the USA. So, basically, donation, donation, donation. The campaign has a lot of money. Then uh, he's able to buy a lot of, like, ads. He's able to participate in rallies. Yeah. He's able to face the public, basically. So, donations uh, is basically the fuel for his entire campaign. So, But uh, I do, 19... just to interject, I do feel yeah. that a lot of his camp... He's trying... He's using, a he's using automation as a tool, as a fear factor uh -huh. to gain supporters and i i understand as a tactic you know every yeah. politician is going to do something in terms of tactics um but that you know might... in the end if the end result is going to give everybody a thousand dollars i think that's just crazy it doesn't it doesn't make <laughs> any sense it's not going to really help anything well what i would say like i like the part when he's talking that uh you know when one of the parents and he particularly talking about females when they have to stay at home looking after their child you know and their husband goes to work and they basically get nothing you know that's their base salary for actually having a labor on daily basis so i mean that's that's like also like there is there are many parts of this like situation that might be questionable because i know that For example, in Switzerland, uh, a couple of years ago, they had a referendum on this topic and the government wanted to give every single uh, citizen yeah. of uh, Switzerland 2,500 uh, euros a month, mm -hmm, something mm -hmm, like that. Mm -hmm. And they refused. Mm -hmm. They said, no, Because we don't they, need it. They had a negative growing population. And it's the mm -hmm. same in America. I think the, it's, a, in, it's the lowest kind of population growth in the last 30 years. It's something like 1.08 child per person. I mean, people getting smarter. <laughs> What can you do? Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's 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 the thing. I I don't know. I it's a it's an approach. You know, it's it's never kind of been done that way before. Exactly. Um, but I'm that's I'm totally definitely new. sure. But I'm definitely sure. I'm very sure. I'm, you can never be definite about anything in life. But I'm very sure that giving somebody a thousand dollars a month is actually, in most cases, not going to incentivize them to try to reskill and to upgrade themselves so they can be more relevant for the working environment they're in. Mm, you are right. I mean, you, of course, of course, like generally, that's that's like a very sober idea that you're having. But like I'm coming back to the donation uh, kind of uh, topic. So mm -hmm. 90% of all the donators who actually like donate money in Andrew Yang's campaign are the first time donate, do, donation makers. So basically, these people have never donated before for any of the candidates or they were not of the age to vote and to participate in the campaign, which means that, you know, his audience is pretty much like younger, probably even younger yeah. than I am. So, that's I mean, that's yeah, that is very interesting. And uh, for for me personally, Andrew Yan is like standing, standing very, very away from all this like you know rally crowd why because he's literally like talking something that 
most of the people on the younger side can relate like automation yeah, yeah they, they yeah. find this word i mean they they understand they understand that at some point like automation will come they understand that like they, they are not sure what will happen but ai will definitely replace some of the jobs so they find it and plus uh he's asian so like asian population is like getting crazy about him and you know it's a big deal here in the usa and uh, having an you know the asian candidate is also a big deal it's like you know it's it's like step step towards the future you know definitely for uh everyone especially here in the usa that's that's super big deal but what i can say the the rest of the and he's like on the younger side okay like he's like 40 something the yeah, rest of the yeah. candidates i mean i'm afraid to count how old they are i mean <laughs> trump trump is like you know trump wants to be on the second uh, term and he's like gonna be what 78 and i'm like oh man <laughs> are you kidding me <laughs> And uh, Bloomberg is the guy who never participates in any kind of uh, discussions, but his his like campaign is so ubiquitous that I see his like advertisement on on my YouTube literally before every single video I'm watching. And yeah, I have pronounced his name, which means that I will see him even more. <laughs> so um, I know it means. Gotta that... watch out for those AI algorithms. They're working uh, away absolutely. in the background. Oh, they they do. <laughs> I have figured it out. <laughs> so I mean, definitely when you understand that. Um, the one one side is super old and the other side is super young and still like USA is still a country of boomers and you understand it so Andrew Yang is not the most popular candidate and that's like totally understandable you know this yeah. guy Bloomberg who came the last you know he's on the leading positions you know definitely because more people still more people the majority of the population can relate to his ideas can understand what he's talking about and definitely like you know want to see some other billionaire <laughs> as a president in 2020 so like that's you know that's a funny story so coming to the president like this poly political topic like i i can talk for hours i'm not i'm not sure it's such a good idea because for example i have i have some people who are listening to me in california and trust me they absolutely do not care what's going on here in dc like what <laughs> what like rally is on who is the candidate like they don't care so i mean i'm just you know, very, very slowly moving from this topic. So, but, but I'm still staying there. So can we actually, like, if I can automate the blog posts, you know, that, that are coming, can we actually automate Trump's Twitter so it's less ridiculous? <laughs> I would love to automate his Twitter. I, mean, I would personally try and do it myself. Um, no, I think, um, yeah, look, uh, there is a lot of automation already in social media, right? Like, don't be fooled. Mm -hmm. Even people buying... Um, followers and you know those bots are auto liking auto commenting on pictures try to make people's accounts more popular mm -hmm. there's a lot of automation already in social media um, automating Trump's Twitter I think there'll be a people would do it for free I think if, if, if the <laughs> offer was there people would do it for free they might just shut it down probably <laughs> yeah that's it's like you know sometimes it's better to kill something <laughs> in order to give another life <laughs> You know, yeah, like really, but uh, I'm still like so amazed how how nobody like took his phone away or like I don't know how he's guarding his phone so that he can tweet every single moment and like just spread out the his yeah. precious ideas. <laughs> it, is, it is it is quite unorthodox. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, but I, 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 don't, I don't know what to say about Trump because I hear good things. I see some good things as well. Like unemployment is getting better and he's created a lot of jobs and. But it's just, he kind of ruins it, I think, just by doing some very silly, immature things. But 
I think. But I mean, one... I feel that you have your own Trump there, no? <laughs> like, that's, that's what I was going to go into Boris. now. Boris. So, <laughs> yeah, but this is one thing that I was going to go into now is, you know, the way that we think about things, people, and uh, places and people is really highly dependent on the news that we get fed. And to give you an example, like uh, originally I'm Brazilian. And when I say Brazil, people automatically think, you know, favelas, slums, football, and samba, and the beach probably. But, you know, in <laughs> in terms of Latin America, Brazil's got some of the wealthiest people. Uh, in the Forbes 100, there's a good number of them which are Brazilian. You know, there's a very affluent, very powerful middle class in Brazil. You know, there's very few slums in Brazil. Some of them are quite big, of course, and some of them are even tourist attractions. Mm. But why do people think like that, especially in the UK? Because the BBC, and there was an analysis done about this a couple of years ago, something like 70 or 80% of the stories published by the BBC and some other news um, companies in the UK, it talks always about these three or four things about Brazil. Mm-hmm. So in people's minds, they, when they think Brazil, this is all they think about. But actually, <laughs> you know, they don't know that Brazil is maybe one of the top um, producers of aerospace equipment. Um, that's one of the top producers of pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's so many things about the country. So the same thing about Trump and I think some other, you know, kind of, you know, interesting characters like that. <laughs> you know, depending where you live you know, the news that gets fed to you makes you change completely about how you think about them. So, I don't know, my perception of Trump might be completely different to somebody who lives in the Philippines or who lives in South Africa because of what they get fed. Um, yeah, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard. News, The news and the environment that we're in, and there's lots of psychology, you know, studies about this as well. Like, you are based on your environment and your closest five, five to ten friends and people in your life the way you think, the way you act. So, yeah, it's it's kind of hard. Uh, definitely you are a product of your environment, for sure. Like, uh, here here I know, I mean, fake news, of course, that's a big term. And that's a term imagined by Mr. Trump himself. And, you know, that is, that is pretty much true. But I think that in most of the cases, how it all works, like television is, you know, and marketing, they are always coming together. So, of course, I can understand all these people who are imagining the story. Because you should understand that behind every single story, behind every single header, behind every single... Even like camera there is a person so everything is dependent on the particular angle of the view of that person and of course exactly. the general like view of the company we have here cnn and fox news and they're totally different because one is owned by trump another one is owned by somebody else so basically like what cnn is always against trump and fox news is always pro-trump and sometimes like uh listening and watching the stories how they present the same story is like insane one is saying it in totally, totally negative yeah, yeah. Yeah. Another one is saying it in totally positive. And you're like looking like, okay, so what's actually going on? Like, it's it's very hard to, um, you know, balance it all. But I think that at least here, um, you know, there is a choice. So you can you can be pro, you can be, you know, not pro. But, you know, still, still you have the choice of different informational perceptions. In some countries, you know, they don't have such a luxury of, of like listening of two sides because they are always like one-sided. So whatever TV says to them, you know, they percept it as a reality. And um, I think that with the development of uh, like even even like automation here, or like automation on generating the news, automation of, of looking for the news and AI of like news generation, 
uh, you know, the pocket, you know, and all the other softwares that exist there that generate, you know, news that give people the news that they might be interested in, like overview of what's going on in the world. This also opens a lot of horizons in terms of how people perceive the information. With the internet, of course, we are able to, like, know everything what's going on and uh, form our own opinions about it. So I think it's getting better. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's like going back to AI is the same thing. Like the biggest topic that governments talk about in AI in terms of governance is AI bias. So, mm -hmm. you know, the people, you know, things like facial recognition, you know, if you're going to try to pick up criminals, you know, depending on the people doing the coding of the algorithms and doing machine learning and, um, you know, putting all the coding together, you know, it depends on their backgrounds and how they grew up, you know, how do you look for a criminal? You know, it's, it's sometimes an AI, um, algorithm there's a lot of bias if you have a team which is very much from the same country there's no diversity or if the head coder is the one kind of making most of the implementations it's the same thing even in ai and that's that's actually you know it's quite a big topic it's something you have to be really careful with as well um just bias in anything you got to be careful you can always keep an open mind and try to be factual about things if you can Absolutely, but there's always a human nature, of course. You you can't stay neutral, <laughs> even yeah. if you want to. <laughs> Especially if you if you're using you know AI or algorithms and and automation for commercial gain or purposes, right? Like if you have an end goal to try to sell somebody a product, it's you know the the bias is going to be to try to buy you know please buy my product. So you got to always be careful with that. But there is a lot of regulation coming in that space from different governments. It's kind of just guidelines now, but it's going to get a lot more tightly regulated. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I must say that that was quite a talk. <laughs> I see I see on, on my magical tools that it's been an hour of our conversation. And mm. even though I know that my listeners absolutely love me so much that they would be able to listen <laughs> to me and to you and to our conversation forever. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to me that one hour is pretty much a comprehensive time in order to uh, put the idea to their heads and uh, make them think and evaluate everything what we talked about. But I definitely would like to invite you for the second part of the show because I think that uh, our conversation about AI is a pretty curious one. So why don't we discuss it? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, and I would love to invite you back. Okay, so let's try to finish it now, even though it's a great, great pleasure talking to you. And absolutely, mm, you know, it's, it's just it's just such a pleasant time I'm having. So, you know, it could last forever, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for coming. And... No, thank you. It's been great. And you, know, you, can, you can see how this stuff touches so many topics and, you know, how it's really going to be part of every fabric of society so you mean literally for ai and automation you can talk about it for days and hours because it's literally going to touch everything oh yeah and absolutely knowing us <laughs> we can <laughs> we can talk even longer for sure so thank you so much for coming thank i'm you. looking forward to hearing from you again and talking to you again and uh well, maybe you can have some, like, since we are still in the very beginning of this month of January, maybe you could wish something to the audience to make it a very sweet ending. <laughs> oh, um, what a, a wish. Um, 
in terms of what I would like to happen this year? Oh, uh, well, I don't know. Like, what what do you want uh, people to have? <laughs> like, you know, wish I anything. Think... That's that's a carte blanche for you. <laughs> um, I'm going to be a little biased here. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I, I really hope that people this year especially, because I think this year is going to be quite an important year for for automation and AI, for them to just kind of learn a little bit more about it, you know, just to take a bit of, be a bit more proactive, try to understand it better, maybe try to see how it's going to affect them in different ways, and to try to educate themselves a little more about the topic so that they can progress and advance and, you know, kind of take advantage that it's still something they can um, turn around and make it a positive for them um, to try to better themselves. Um, I see this stuff is going to have really good positive changes to everything we're doing in society. And of course, there's going to be some rotten apples, some people that use it for the wrong intentions, um, like always. But I do think that AI is going to help us make, help make us more human. And it's going to help us make humanity better in so many ways. So, yeah, I hope people can, can learn about it a little bit more. I think they're going to find it fascinating. Ah, oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. And well, I I I always wish everybody to keep on doing what they are doing and just uh, be happy with what they have and always strive for more. And I'm sure that automation will bring you a lot in this term <laughs> for sure. <laughs> true. True. Uh, yes. Yeah, so thank you so much for coming. And for you, everybody who is behind that screens, behind that headphones. Thank you for listening, and I'm sure that, yeah, you you will hear from us very, very soon. It was Anita, it was uh, Danilo, and uh, it was Splinter Business Stories. Bisous, bisous, and see you soon. Bye-bye. Splinter Business Stories.